Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In episode 6, I spoke with two guests from Seoul, South Korea. We talked about the City of Han project. Solly Bay is the editor of the City of Han, as well as the founder and organizer of Fiction Writers in Seoul. Joining Solly was Ron Bandon, one of the contributing authors to the project. Ron also writes a column for the Korea Times. So, what is the City of Han? The City of Han is a collection of short stories inspired by Seoul and other cities in South Korea. As the sleeve suggests, there are three things a great city inspires. Romance, music, and stories. The stories in the city of Han were written by expat writers in South Korea. We get into how the project came together, some of the locations in and around my old stomping ground in Seoul, the themes of the stories, such as social hierarchy and the pressure to fit in, as well as a look into urban exploring. Finally, we looked at whether South Korean literature can rival the success of K-pop and Korean cinema. Of course, there's also the top five with both a musical and literary twist. Without further ado, Solibe and Ron Banda. Joining me today are Solibe and Ron Banda. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. Nothing else to do. Self quarantine or self isolation. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. I just I'm uh, I'm sitting in my kitchen in in Dortmund and uh, closed my kitchen window like I have a shutter, so now it's completely blacked out. And my neighbor just kind of looked out the window and wondered what I'm doing. So wow. <laughs> the plot thickens, you know. Who are these strange neighbors we have? It's uh, yeah, it's definitely strange times that we live in. Yeah, we're here though to talk about a city of Han, and uh, solely you're the editor of the publication. Mm-hmm. Would you like to introduce it for us? Oh, this is always a difficult part. Yeah, City of Han is uh, an anthology of short stories written by expat writers, for lack of better words, who have lived in Korea, have traveled here, or are still residents here. And uh, I, I had the idea for the project because I felt like it was a good opportunity to present to the world um, two things that have remained um, unheard and unseen, I guess. The first was Seoul as a literary setting, like I was talking about in the foreword. I felt like Seoul was underrepresented in world literature in general. So I wanted a book where Seoul plays a major role as a setting. And I guess what I mean by that is just the story that, that the stories don't just have Korean sounding names and words um, and could really be placed anywhere in the world. I wanted the conflicts that the characters go through to be organically Korean and be possible because they were in Korea. And another thing, another voice that I wanted to represent through this anthology was that of the foreigners and immigrants in Korea. I mean, there's a growing movement across the world right now to represent diverse voices in the art scene. And I thought that was especially needed here in Korea. 
and because I'm someone who's constantly going back and forth between the international communities and the um, the mainstream Korean society, um, I felt like there is such a huge gap between them that could be bridged. And you know, these days we have TV shows and YouTube channels that serve that cost. So why not stories written by and um, and from the perspective of the immigrants in Korea about Korea that can be shared with the major literary scene here. So for always the ultimate goal for this project has been to translate the stories into Korean and have them published by a Korean publisher, which I'm working on right now. <laughs> yeah. And how did you actually become editor? How, how did the project come about? I mean, I wouldn't really call myself an editor. Um, I know it's kind of difficult. I don't know. I don't want to um, discredit my myself too much, but this is actually my first time um, editing or putting together an anthology. So I I have translated a few books from English to Korean, but um, yeah, this is my first time trying. So yeah, this is the, the foot in the door. Mm, mm, mm. And I've learned so much um, from the experience. And how do you know Ron? How did your paths cross? Uh, maybe, Ron, so... maybe Ron could pick this up. Oh yeah. I just uh, <laughs> saw an ad for the the anthology and had an idea so I thought I'd submit it. I'd never met her before. Which takes us to to my my next question I had was how did the actual project come together then? Was it part of a writing group or is there some kind of other community out mm. you know out with of this and yeah, maybe you can explain that for us Soli. I started this writing group called Fiction Writers in Seoul like seven years ago, and you know I've been running it. And I, I reached a stage where I wanted to do something more. So um, this anthology was one of the things that I decided to try. And I didn't want to just publish stories written by the group members. I actually wanted quality stories. So I put out a call for submissions for this anthology, which Ron saw and responded. So I guess it was, and, and I also had another um, friend from the group who is a published writer and he helped me um, go through the submissions and edit um, edit the works. That was how it began. All right. Is this is this Brian you're referring to? Oh, yeah. You read the <laughs> forward. <laughs> of course. I'm surprised anyone read it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be doing it justice if I didn't. Uh, yeah. The group, how, how often do you meet? Uh, we meet once every other week. Wait, so yeah, twice a month. Mm. We just had a uh, meeting today, despite the corona outbreak. We met at a park and read the submissions <laughs> and critiqued them. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And you kept your appropriate distance from one another. We were wearing masks, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here in Korea, everybody is wearing masks, so... Yeah, and I definitely. Uh, they're not isolating as much anymore. I drove up Hebangchon uh, earlier today. There's this new burger restaurant that's kind of higher up from all the foreign restaurants. And there was like at least twenty Korean people lined up outside it. It's going to be the next Bonnie's Pizza, I'm sure. Oh, oh. wow! <laughs> yeah. Whereabouts in uh, Hebangchon is it, Ron? Uh, do you know where Hair of the Dog is? Yeah, I know. I do. Uh, Fifty to a hundred meters uphill of there. Okay, I know MG and uh, Will quite well. Yeah, we lived in Hebangchon for, for uh, six, seven years, maybe longer. 
That's before it was a hot spot, of course. Yeah. <laughs> we were, it is we were, such a cozy neighborhood. Yeah. Lots of things. So how many, if we go back to this, sorry, I'm taking a slight tangent there. If we, if we talk oh, about, so, if we talk about the submissions for the, the city of Han, if we could call it the city of Han project, how many submissions were there initially, Sully? And what was the process of uh, choosing the final, the final cut, if you want to call it that? So we had around 109 submissions or something like that. You know, so we had a Brian and I. We had a um, a spreadsheet where we wrote down the title and you know, and we each wrote a comment about what we liked and disliked about them, whether we voted yes or no. Um, we made sure to have the submissions blind, so just so that we don't know who wrote them. And we went through each and every one of those submissions. You know, we we wrote our comments, and we, I guess we just narrowed things down from there. Uh, it was it was actually really fun. And um, were, were there had, specific things that you were looking for? I guess one thing I was looking for was how how um, important Seoul was as as a setting. I, I mentioned this briefly earlier, but I just a lot of the submissions were were just stories, just that you know, with Korean sounding names that could really be placed anywhere that makes sense. Like Seoul wasn't really a factor in all the stories that I ended up selecting, as, as you probably know already, um, Seoul is actually a, one of the characters that that determines the fate of the others. And yeah, that was that was one main thing I was looking for. I'm, and Ron... I'm curious also, if you don't mind me jumping in. The title, oh. City of Han, I don't remember that from when we submitted. You came up with that after you selected the stories, right? Yeah, I guess. I, I think I realized that after reading so many submissions, you know, that word that just sort of just switched the names and decided to submit them because, hey, it's an anthology. And, and you yeah, are I hadn't seen that right? title before. It surprised me and impressed me when I saw it about a week ago. <laughs> well, maybe this takes us to another point then. What, what is the title, actually, for those of us who are not familiar with... Uh, South Korea or Seoul or the Korean language or any Korean culture at all. What does the title actually mean, Sully? <laughs> um, the title was actually really difficult to come up with. And, and Ron probably knows this because I had a, I actually sent out an email to the contributors asking, like, what should the title of the anthology be? It was actually one of the hardest things during the process. So a city of Han, um, I don't know. I, it was just a phrase that kind of popped up, you know, that happens like in a shower or a walk. And Han, it, it means Korea, but also uh, another meaning of the word is this sort of the melancholy sadness. It's mm -hmm. melancholy right word but you know that's sort of um it's one of those words that's really hard to translate but it, it has that it of... i might call it historically based angst maybe <laughs> angst yeah <laughs> i guess angst is a good word although now it makes the anthology sound very sad but yeah <laughs> it, it, it is a very cultural cult culturally specific um word emotion i guess so it just fit yeah for some reason with the cover of the birds flying, you know, across the mountain. It kind of fit in my head. I'm not sure if that's a good explanation, but... <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those moments. It just came to you in a flash of genius. I don't know about genius, but... <laughs> Oh, you, you can take some credit for it then. When we actually talk about uh, Ron's story in the, the collection, 
Ron, you describe yourself as an, an archaeologist. Right, yeah. Can you explain a little bit about that for me, please? I came up with the term. Basically, I'm uh, what's called an urban explorer, if you're familiar with that term. I think in the UK, they might prefer the term place hacker, but it's a person who visits parts of the city that are, you know, forbidden for some reason. And I got into uh, studying the rail lines because I was... Uh, basically walking around them above ground and then underground in the western Seoul region. And I just kind of developed an interest in the courses that train lines take you on because they're very important to the development of the city. So I came up with the term anarchaeologist as kind of a joke because obviously it combines anarchist and anarchaeologist. You know, I am doing some light trespassing to do a lot of my research. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, hopefully people can see it uh, intended in kind of humor rather than taking myself too seriously. And how did you, how did you get into it? What was your what was your way into this uh, this world? Well, when I first moved here, I was uh, I felt like a weight on my soul by how ugly parts of the city were, especially the the to be honest, usually originally I lived in Suwon uh, where there were just high-rise complexes everywhere, and it just just looking at that view just bothered me. My best friend came to visit once and even remarked on it. But um, one day, uh, a friend took me to Cheonggyecheon. This is March 2, 2005. I just wrote a column for the Korea Times about my 15-year anniversary. And Cheonggyecheon was being unearthed at the time. And next to it was an apartment complex, the Samirapate, that was burned out from arson damage. And we actually managed to walk inside. Nobody was guard guarding it or anything. And I just started to realize that there's a lot of texture under this uh, surface that Korea presents itself. And oh, I became cool. increasingly obsessed with trying to find it. Did wow. you find it? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I see it everywhere, so I think so. And yeah. what, kind of, what kind of places in the city are you want to venture into, for choice of a better word? Have you... Yeah, I don't know if I'd say want. Let's say drawn to, because they're, they're not nice places usually. The big thing that I visit a lot are uh, abandoned neighborhoods. Like, if you look around, you see an apartment complex, like 20 buildings. That's a large parcel of land. And they, in order to build those, they evict large neighborhoods all at once and leave the houses standing empty for, uh, these days, about up to a year before they demolish them. Uh, and I just go to neighborhoods like that and walk around and see what it's like. And I find it kind of guides me, uh, like, what I want to write about very often. And in relation to your your story, without giving too much away, of course, about your your story in the collection, what what's the connection between what you've just described and the story itself? Well, the, the big thing that my story is about is um, things that used to be in Seoul that aren't anymore, or, or even some things that really haven't spent all that much time uh, over the last... Uh, Almost, I guess about 20 years from the start, maybe 10, 90 years. Sorry, not 20, 100. But like a lot of the neighborhoods, like if you if you look at the names very closely and you can figure some of the places out, like the main character lives in Huangdong and then he moves to Yanghidong. And one time he meets up with a character and they have lunch in Sogyodong or Saikyori, as, as he calls it because he's Japanese. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of get to see like what's been, you know, erased and hidden from Korea and, uh, you know, over urban renewal over all these decades. Uh, and you can kind of see, you know, how the character is still recognizable. So it really took me visiting places and seeing how they before and after to be confident to write a story about this kind of thing.
And certainly there are a lot of changes that happen to the city during the story. Like Seoul goes from being a, a little walled city to pr closer to uh, its size today. Like it envelopes uh, Mapogu and everything in that time. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is. When you talk about super cities or mega cities or whatever, whatever the word is they're using for it these days, I mean, Seoul must have what? Between 10 and 12 million inhabitants maybe more uh it's actually just under 10 million but uh that's because people are moving out to the satellite cities outside of seoul sure so if you added in all the the bundang or even if you went into suwon or if you added incheon or all of these places you you, you soon add uh, you soon add up it's half the country's population yeah it's ah. it's what when i try to explain this to people what it's like living there and then coming back to the to the west they just kind of look and they're like how can you know people will say oh the train was busy this morning or the traffic traffic in this part of germany is actually very busy but uh that's more for logistic reasons and one thing and another but actually on the trains and so on Getting around the subway, yeah, it's like nothing compared to getting on a subway on line line one at seven o'clock in the morning or, or, or line two. Well, when I go but back to my hometown, Edmonton, Canada, which is actually slightly bigger in area than Seoul, but less than a tenth of the population, I just look around and I you can't see many buildings because it's so flat. And I just think, this can't be a city. How do people live like this? <laughs> Which is how I felt about about Korea when I first arrived. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Like my, my first memories actually of the city where I arrived in February 2000 and the Incheon airport wasn't yet finished. I think it was a, oh, yeah. two, three years later. So I arrived at the old Kimpo airport and it was a freezing yeah. cold day, but... As the plane came into land, all I could see is just as you described, Ron, was all of these high, high-rise buildings, and I thought, "Oh dear!" <laughs> you know? And then, of course, when when you see it from the ground up, then you realize you're like, "Wow, there's a there's a lot going on here." Yeah. Ron, but what is the name of of your story in the collection? Young Sang Loop. And can you give us a kind of a brief synopsis of it? Basically, it's a story about a Japanese imperialist. Well, it's from his perspective, uh, and he meets a Korean and watches the Korean deal with assimilation assimilation up until the end when uh, Japan uh, leaves after the surrender, and it shows uh, the landscape of Seoul uh, in the era from about I guess 1929 to 1944. Young Sang Loop was an actual train line that ran from Seoul Station out towards uh, Yonsei, passed by Yonhe area and then uh kind of looped back uh went to yongsan and then up to seoul station again and the the character the the story takes place like every uh, there's a little bit at least at every single one of those stations in order of that uh circle that's why it's got loop in the name well actually that is i think the original name of the train line how did you research the the, the background to the the loop i was at the time researching uh the train lines that were around there like the gyeonggi line uh in particular and i happened to go to uh Kichaki, the area that's kind of between hongdae and shincheon where they were building um it kind of intersects with the gyeonggi line book street park basically it's like they they put the train tracks below ground uh mm -hmm. and they turned the the former path of the train tracks into a long linear park uh that goes through hongdae and goes all the way to like almost almost to samgakji and so i was walking around there and i noticed uh they had like a plaque with all the train lines that used to go through the area and one was this strange loop that i noticed that basically meant trains could go from shincheon down to the hongdae area uh and then uh double back and when I researched that, I found out about this 
commuter train that used to go through there. So I, I really wondered what kind of lifestyles the people would have when they took that train. Fantastic. Yeah, we can read all about it when you pay, when, when everyone picks up a copy of the book. But I really enjoyed it. Uh, as, I, as I was saying earlier, the, the stories are all very, from a different point of view, a couple of, like, like Ron's, are a little more historical context. There's some more modern ones. There's ones about these, uh, the, the, the drivers who bring you your takeout food and things like that. And there's some really nice contrast between, you know, these, these parts of the city that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't yet know about. So we should say the book is called The City of Han. It's coming out April 16th. If we could actually talk about some of the comparisons between, in the book solely, we, in the foreword, we talk about these themes that kind of run through the stories. And I've made a couple of notes about social hierarchy or peer pressure or the pressure to fit in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I talk about um, the Seoul's architecture being the embodiment of social hierarchy in that, you know, it's these tall rising buildings that pretty much look identical, right? And um, in many of the stories, we see um, competition and pressure, pressure to fit in and things like that impacting the characters a lot. So I, I mean, I, I think in a way I was, I was kind of hesitant to pick those stories because I guess part of me was afraid to portray Seoul in such a negative light. But in the end, I mean, it, it is what it is, right? My editor friend said the title of the anthology should be Seoul, Warts and All. And, and I think that that is, that is how life in Seoul is like, and not necessarily a bad thing. It just is yeah. how it is. Yeah. Definitely. Well, how many stories have been written about places that are nice to live? Like, how many how many novels are set in Songdo? You know, nobody wants to read about Songdo. That's very true. <laughs> Does anything actually happen in Songdo? There's one nice bar there, Cinder Bar. There, they, they, it's like you walk in and it's like a small town. I would I would love like a murder mystery set in a pristine neighborhood like that. I don't know. If somebody had written it, I would have picked it, I guess. Uh, actually, I had another, just as we were talking uh, before we before we came on here, uh, I, I was thinking more about how South Korea is not known so much in the literary world as it is more now in the cinematic world. Mm -hmm. of, of course, with the recent success of uh, Parasite and before that, the kind of the, the work of Park Chan-wook and Old Boy. What do you think it would take to bring the the literary work up to the same recognition as the cinematic work? You know, that's a really difficult question. <laughs> I have a long... habit of asking long, difficult questions, sorry. <laughs> do, do you have an answer, Ron? Well, I, I actually do think that Parasite helped. Like, to be a uh, spoiler, I haven't seen the movie. I, I'm just vaguely aware of its themes. Uh, but they, they seem uh, like the kind of thing that has a lot of place in literature also. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, people who go looking into Korean films start to turn their eyes also to Korean literature, which is increasingly globalizing, and there's all sorts of translations now. Uh, I think it's heading in the right direction, uh, maybe slowly. Maybe there will be a parasite of uh, Korean literature or a Gangnam style of, of Korean literature, if you want, even. Uh, <laughs> well, that that would be interesting. Like Han Jung, 
vegetarian might be the closest so far. Yeah, I was going to say the vegetarian is is got a lot of recognition. Yeah, and its translation in particular with the Man Booker Award. Yeah. 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 So I I think it's getting there, and you know I, I don't I I don't think um this book would have that big of an impact you know towards that goal, but. I mean, maybe maybe there will be many more that follow that they can contribute to that cause. And for yourself, Soli, was there a particular? I guess you enjoyed all of the the stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like picking your favorite sibling or something. I don't mean it in this kind of way, but was there a particular story that you you felt a bit more connected to than others? I, I was worried you would ask me that question. Um, you know, I I did love all of them. I mean, I I picked. Those six out of you know 110 or 109 submissions, so I have a lot of love towards those stories. I of course I I liked I liked Ron's story a lot because of the historical background. It was very unique in that way. But I guess personally speaking, I connected a lot to the first story, Amtina. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember. But you know, basically about this guy, you know, who's applying for interview after interview. Um, because his mom wants him to work for a um, in a Samsung or Hyundai or one of those big chaebol companies, and um, a lot of my Korean friends who read that story told me that this I mean whoever wrote this has that mother son Korea mother son relationship down in that story and <laughs> I guess yeah I, I I think that one I really related to on a personal level. Ron, have you had a chance to read any of the other the other stories? Nope. Not at all. I don't know what any of the other stories are. I'm, it, by the way that she talks about that, it sounds like, was mine the only one set in the past? Yes, yes. The All oh. the others. So I think Ron's submission stood out, especially because it was historically rooted and has such rich descriptions about that time. There's even a, a little mention in the, the beginning of Ron's story about... Uh, like Guago Xiong, it's like the civil That's servant cool. exams, the, the way the, the guy's on the train and he's dressed and in this particular... Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know too much about the hat, to be honest. I uh, I wanted the character to have that hat on the train, uh, <laughs> so I had to talk a little bit to justify him having it. Yeah, well, you see enough You see enough strange things on the trains every day uh, <laughs> on the Seoul Metro, so this would just be one of the many. What about plans for more, Soli? You know, <laughs> this you're going to wait till you finish this one first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to come out, and you know, I'm going to translate them, and you know, talk to um, Korean publishers. So until that's all done, I don't. I'm not really thinking about the next volume, but that this, yeah, I, I'm not really sure. If if there is though, I will definitely let everybody know. From beginning to end, what was the kind of time scale of the project? So the call for submissions was out like 2018, the end of 2018, and I made my decisions March of 2019. And and I you know I talked to the writers. Um, I we signed the contracts. That was done around. April, May, and then and then I worked on and then I um, commissioned an illustrator for the cover and all that. And there was a bit of a gap for about half a year. So I guess from start to finish, it took me about a year. Yeah. It uh, reminds me of that old John Lennon thing about <laughs> life's what happens. Life's what happens when you're making other plans. Oh yeah, I can't agree more. Uh, yeah, life gets in the way. Oh, it did. But, and what, um, what's the next step then? Are you are you going to be publishing it digitally as well as traditionally? Right, right. 
So I, I, everything's ready, actually. The, the book actually has been printed, um, the review copies at least. So I have dozens of reviewers right now as we speak reading the review copies. Um, we, ha we have uh, someone at the Korea Herald and the Korea Times. They're, they're reading the books right now and they'll be writing reviews shortly after the book's release. So really looking forward to that. Well, they're in for a real treat because I, I read the book. I've, I've read it twice. I read it in the last few days and I really enjoyed it. It's uh, a short collection. You know, they are short stories, we should say, but yeah, they, they pack a real punch. Oh, thank you. And Ron, what about your plans? You were talking about writing for the Korea Times or the Herald? Times, yeah. I, I have a column that runs approximately once every month on the foreign community page where I use, it's about, you know, let's say anarchaeology, which is in my bio there. Uh, mm. The column name is Cityscapes, if that helps you Google it. And the stories are basically all about my experiences urban exploring in Korea. The last one was about the Samuel apartments that I mentioned. Uh, and the next one is going to come out on Wednesday, which is April Fool's Day. So I wanted to write about April Fool's Day jokes I've made involving the city. Like in 2000, I think, 14, no, 13, I had a, uh, I managed to get on a popular website uh, a story about how since the administrative capital was moving to Sejong City, uh, Seoul had to, Seoul, basically, somewhere in the name, it, it means capital city. So they had to, they decided to rename the city and they were going to call Seoul Gangnam. And uh, that did very well back then. <laughs> Wow. Interesting, yeah. yeah. I'd I, I completely forgot that Sejong City was a thing, yeah. I've been gone too long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember, I remember now I'm getting flashbacks about all the, yeah, there was a lot of talk about should this happen or not happen or, yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Oh, okay, I'm getting a little Korean flashback there. That was, that was a moment. Where can we where can we find you, Soli, the project and social media? Oh, yeah. Um, I guess I'll be sending you more information later but uh, we have a facebook group i also have a twitter um and also i am working on i, I am actually uh, making a website right now for the book and when the book is released there will be an amazon page of course so yeah i'll send you that information in text later on great i'll add it to the show notes and we can let everyone know where they can get hold of it uh, so the books will be available at um independent bookstores but also i i am looking into getting the books in in those main bookstores that you just talked about but um but they require but they usually require the publisher to have a whole warehouse and thousands of copies available so yeah. i am not sure but i just i have to talk to them right now so that's a work in progress mm -hmm. and what about yourself Sully? do you have any uh, any of your own that you're working on I have been working on this novel for the past four years, so <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely my passion project. But yeah, yes, hopefully it's the the first the, the manuscript has been done for a while, and I'm sort of rewriting that. And yeah, hopefully it'll it'll be published too. But I'm not sure. Okay, I guess time will tell. Yeah. How about we move to our top five? Ron? Yep. Did you get did you get the memo? The top five memo? I did, yes. <laughs> we we changed a couple of them. I hope that was okay for you. 
I the first copies that I got made the most sense, to be honest. Uh, I'll see what I can do on the fly if anything is too different. Yeah, that'll work. Uh, maybe we could talk about where, where shall we start? Let's start with a literary theme then. So we talked about instead of a musical artist, we should be listening to. Who should we be reading? So. <laughs> I don't really have a good answer. Uh, so I was I was thinking about that question, and I ended up coming up with um, Stephen King, just because uh, I recently came across one of his short stories called um, Night Surf, and it's about a world where most of the population has been wiped out because of a flu. So I was reading this book on a subway just a few weeks ago, and I, I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is prophetic. This is coronavirus. It's happening right now. And it kind of made me realize that a lot of sci-fi or horror or genre writers, actually, there there are examples where they predicted the future, maybe just because their stories are so imaginative. So, yeah, I guess my answer is Stephen King. Yeah, he's also really active on, on Twitter, Stephen King. Mm -hmm. He gives lots of forthright opinions, shall we say. Oh, I'm not He's definitely following. worth a follow. And Ron? I uh, don't do a great deal of fiction reading myself. Most of my reading is uh, most of my uh, reading is uh, nonfiction. Like some of the people that I would particularly want to read are Robert Neff, who writes also for the Korea Times. He has a column yeah. called Josen Images, where he looks at uh, Korea through the eyes, through the writing of foreigners who were here like in the 1890s and 1900s. So you can really learn a lot uh, from that era. There's things like that is kind of what I read. Interesting stuff. How about if we if we swiftly change tact? What's your go-to Noribang or karaoke song? <laughs> Uh, it's Let It Go for me. <laughs> oh. You know that Disney song? <laughs> I love that song. And everybody like love has that love-hate relationship with the song. So when I put it on, everyone kind of grumbles. They're like, oh my God, not this again. And then they all sing along in the end. So I, I love, I love <laughs> Let It Go. <laughs> well, I, I, I've been talking to a lot of people recently who have young families and they're, they're now having to <laughs> homeschool them. <laughs> And I think these Disney movies like Frozen are being there on constant repeat. So, yeah, <laughs> you're not alone. And Ron? I hate singing. So uh, when I first started having to go to these places, I would just uh, sing songs where I could imitate somebody's voice. And it started with Louis Armstrong. I can sing in Louis Armstrong style better than I can in normal styles. But <laughs> since then, I've filtered through and I've found Hande Su. And I really like singing Mul Jom Ju So, which is one of his uh, popular songs. <laughs> but it's really not a very fun Marybang song. So usually it kind of seems to irritate other people. <laughs> so it's job done then, yeah? Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Maybe if we talk about a desert island question, what books would you take with you? I think I mentioned maybe you could take three. I, I guess I'll go first again. Um, Please. I think the first book has to be Lolita by Nabokov. It's my my favorite, favorite book of all time. It's so beautifully written. And I can, I can read that book over and over again and finding something new to appreciate. It's just because you know, he has so many like references there that I don't understand. And I guess the second book... For that, for the reason of the the reason being, I want to read it again and again. I think the second book would have to be the dictionary, 
because you know it's like you can read new parts again and again i don't know um, and learn new things like i think the third book is my work in progress the novel that i've been working on if it counts because i want to i want to finish it on the desert island why not yeah Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully you get it finished before <laughs> that. <laughs> oh yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and Ron, what would your choices be since your your uh, your choice of reading is slightly different to Soli's? Yeah, uh, it would be uh, very non-fictional uh, when I put it together. One of them would be called Brief Encounters: Early Reports of Korea by Westerners. I have it. I've finished about a third of it. It's it's about historical accounts of foreigners like discovering Korea, like encountering Korea, being shipwrecked on Korea, starting you know at the beginning of of the history of that. Uh, it was compiled by uh, Brother Anthony and Robert Neff, who I already name dropped. Uh, also, uh, the book Access All Areas, which is a guidebook to urban exploring by a guy who went by the synonym pseudonym Ninjalicious. And last would be the design of everyday things by Donald Norman, which is a look at kind of the usability of objects in society. Well, we're getting quite an eclectic mix. I ever had in university, I learned something. Fantastic. Yeah, something for everyone then. eh? Who would you most like to collaborate with and why? I'm guessing I'm speaking from a, a writing perspective. I don't... I don't know if I'm able, if I'm allowed to like avoid questions, but I don't really have a particular novelist, (laughs) but I do have the kind of collaboration project I want to try. And like, I want to say if anyone, if this interests anyone, please contact me. So there is this Japanese romance novel called Between Common Passion that was written by a male and a female writer. Um, who each wrote from the perspective of the protagonist of the corresponding gender. So the writing process goes something like one person writes a chapter, sends it to the other person, and the person would read it and then, you know, write her own chapter based on the chapter that she received. And I remember the authors described the whole process as something like um, exchanging love letters. So I don't know, I, I always wanted to try something like that. So if anybody's interested... <laughs> that sounds like fun. Maybe not for me, personally. You know, but it, listen, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not offering. Uh, no, but it sounds like something I would read. It's quite interesting because you get these two completely different points of views. And if you put it in the context of love letters to one another, then, of course, it takes on a completely different yeah. a completely different meaning. And where, where does it go from there? Yeah, cool. Yeah, if I were to collaborate with somebody, which I, I've tried in the past and it doesn't really work because you end up... <laughs> You know, having to wait for them. I would I would want to pick somebody who is eager, but uh, not a very experienced or skilled writer, so that I could push them around. <laughs> so, I don't wow. know if that person, there's not a specific person, but that would be what it would take. The yeah, ideal re- as a partner. <laughs> writing with someone else can be, yeah, I think a lot of people know this style of writing, maybe from, you know, comedy shows or film scripts, this kind of idea where people can bounce ideas off each other in a very different kind of way. But when you put it into the context of a collection of short stories, for example, or a novel or, you know, something longer, then it takes on a completely different meaning, I think. And of course, it's all about time, as, as one of you just mentioned there. It's trying to work with the other person and keeping to a schedule or keeping to a, to keep it going. Yeah. It's, it's quite a difficult thing to do. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I wonder if this is true for other kinds of artists as well, like musicians and painters. But I find writers to have, including myself, one of the biggest egos I've ever encountered. So I think collaborating <laughs> can be especially difficult for writers. I'm sure there's a joke in there about how many writers' egos can you fit in a room, right? There's a... <laughs> I'll have to work out the punchline for the next for the next podcast. But yeah, Ron, what do you think of that? Uh, what Soli's just mentioned. <laughs> I think maybe I haven't met enough writers. I mean, it's a pretty solitary thing. You do it, you know, in private, and then people aren't with you when they're experiencing it. So I've always found musicians to be much more arrogant. And I assume, well, maybe whatever word you used, artists, you know, I think are usually kind of the most eccentric. Uh, so I. <laughs> Can't really speak for writers, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some egos in music. Let's put it that way. From my from my background, there's a no, there's one or two. You can take this in a good way, or you can take it as a as a negative. But yeah, for better or for worse, I guess. On the other hand, where would they be without the ego? You need someone to front the band, for example, or you need you know you need this. Yeah, you need I this think, antidote. Yeah, you artists do need big ego because then that's the only way for us to believe that what we say has meaning, you know, that what we, what we're, what we present to the world is worthwhile for people to listen to and pay attention. Otherwise there would, we wouldn't be encouraged to make art. Right on. I completely agree. Last question then, uh, a guilty pleasure, a band or an artist you shouldn't like, but you do. I don't know if people know this writer, but he's called he's Sidney Sheldon. Does, does he ring a bell? So, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of Sydney. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I used to love him when I was in my early teens. Like, I would read all of his books. And he was actually the writer that that, that inspired me to want to become one. So later on, when I found out that he has such a bad reputation, I was so shocked. I was so sad. <laughs> but I, I still, I, I love, I still love his stories and books. Yeah. <laughs> and Ron, for, I guess we can answer this musically or... I'd prefer musically. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, I don't listen to any K-pop at all, but I do love listening to North Korean pop music, which I probably shouldn't. <laughs> is there is there a place that we can we can listen together? You really can just go online and Google North Korean. Uh, no, Pochenbo Electronic or Ensemble. That's a place to start. I, I like oh. the stuff from about from the Kim Jong Il era better than the Kim Jong Un era. So, um, to sound like a bit of a snob for a second, but yeah, Pochonbo, uh, that would be probably enough to get autocomplete to fill in the rest. And you can find like, somebody will put on like a, a 70 minute album on YouTube that you can listen to all the way through. Wow. Is it like one of those, um, performances where like girls wear hanbok and they hold hands across their chests and like they sing, you know? In that particular a little bit, but they don't have hanbok in North Korea. They call it Josanot. Oh, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they do wear that. There's there's <laughs> fairly large orchestras that are making like kind of somewhat modern popish music. Wow. I think what's a what's the current one? Sanji Orchestra. It's like all girls and they uh, play the instruments themselves and stuff. Uh, yeah. The so. There's quite a lot of music, musicianship that goes into them. But of is course, all that... the songs are praising their leaders. So. What, 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 is, what is the appeal? Is it, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's different from you know, other kinds of pop, but... It's kind of old-fashioned sounding and reminds me of trot music a little bit. Uh, 
which is making a comeback these days in Korea, which yeah. Craig, I guess you don't know. Has it, has it ever gone away though? I mean, Troy is, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, good question. But it's a bit like the river, the river hand that runs through the city, you know, it's, it's, it's omnipresent. Oh, yeah. When you bike with these, these um, people, you know, biking along the Han River, they blast the trap music everywhere. But yeah, it's, it's even more popular these days. Is yeah. there someone we should be listening to? Audition TV shows that have brought it back. Yeah, yeah. Well, they like music. Sorry, go on, Ron. No, I'm, I'm mostly done, but I do want to add this anecdote since we mentioned trot. About yeah, around 2007, I used to be involved in a, like a group of DJs in Hongdae, and we would, we would put on like DJs. DJ nights at uh, Club DGBD, which is still there. And we would have like reggae and soul and stuff like that. One time as a joke, I, I booked my friend to uh, join us and um, he was going to bring his Pongjak collection. And the whole night was a disaster. Like we didn't get that many people, like never more than 20. And at the very end was my friend was going to go on to chase people away but the people who were remaining by the end of the night as soon as they heard that they just started dancing like wild and it was like the set of the entire night that was a lot of fun it it does make you want to dance it's got that yeah. rhythm and that something that's yeah. it that's that's something isn't it you don't know what it is but it's that something yeah maybe it's the <laughs> korean blood in me but yeah excellent uh, just before we go, is there somewhere that we can reach both of you? Are you active on social media yourselves? Yeah, I do have the account for a Twitter account for the um, the group and the book. It's at, at Fiction Soul. And yeah, I'm also active on Facebook, yes, under Soli Bay. I'll add those to the, the show notes and people, they want to get in touch with you. They want to find more about the project. Of course, where can you buy the book? You know, they want they want copies of it. <laughs> Very yeah. important. Multiple yeah. copies, of course. And Ron, where can we find you? I would say if you're trying to find out about me, I don't really have any websites or anything. I guess I would direct people to my Korea Times column for now. Hopefully there'll be something like a website coming in the future if I come out with more writing. Soli, thanks for joining us. Ron, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Frank, for having us. Okay, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thanks very much. Thank yep. you. Have a good, Have a good day. Thanks for having us. We made it to the end of another episode of Can't Find My Way Home. A big thank you to Soli and Ron for taking the time for our interview. I really enjoyed the collection of short stories, and as the book sleeve says, at the end of the book, you will understand what makes Seoul one of the most interesting and complex landscapes for literature. For anyone interested in South Korea, it's a great insight. A City of Han is released on April 16th and published by FWS Publishing. It will be available on Amazon and select bookstores across South Korea. Check out fictionwritersandseoul.com or fictionwritersandseoul on Facebook for more details. Where can you find out more about Can't Find My Way Home? You can find us on Facebook at Expat Music Pod. You can also search for Can't Find My Way Home. You can find us on Instagram at Can't.FindMyWayHome. You can also find us on Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as uh, links on our YouTube page. Finally, you can find us on Anchor.fm. You can search for us. Look for Can't Find My Way Home, all one word. From there, 
all sorts of links to take you to all sorts of places, all sorts of platforms where you can listen to more episodes. Don't forget to like, share, comment. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch with me. You can get me on any of those aforementioned platforms. It won't be long until the next episode. I'm looking forward to getting right into it during this uh, lockdown. Let's see how much productivity we can get done. Stay safe out there, everyone. Uh, Take care. Call someone you love. And I will see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers.